Well, hello, everybody, and we are back here this weekend to bring you our uh, Sunday morning uh, weekend service, and uh, we are currently in our series, uh, Peace in the Panic. We've been in there for quite a while since everything went self-quarantine, and I've shifted within that series to Psalm 23, and this will be our third part, which we're calling the Peaceful Heart. I'm going to look at just the first half of verse 4 today, if you can believe that. But let me just tell you, it's just good to be able to share with you today as um, <clears throat> we've been in this now for quite a while. But I want to begin by, um, <clears throat> by saying this about the text that we're in uh, this morning. What we're going to be looking at is when David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now here's what I want to, I, I had a question myself on this because I, I like to read it contextually, meaning sequentially. I like to think about that kind of stuff as I, as I do these Bible studies. <clears throat> Is it possible that when David wrote this, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Is it possible that maybe he might have written this while he was lying down in green pastures? Or maybe while he was led to and sitting by still waters? Let's say that he did, because I can't prove that he did or he didn't. But let's say that he did. I want you to think about that. Because notice how his words make a hard turn. They go from this beautiful, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, and all of a sudden there's this, almost like this, breaks it hard, and he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. <clears throat> I think what's going on here is he's moving from the outside, green pastures, still waters, to the inside. I will fear no evil. Fear is an emotion. I will fear no evil. And it's very important to have a peaceful heart that, that not only, well, it's very important that we have peace on the inside because, like I said last week, there are so many circumstances and situations and problems in life just because it's life can you imagine if we do not develop and cultivate a peaceful heart that we're bringing a storm from the outside and we already have storms raging on the inside and now you have the perfect storm when the two collide. That's not where you want to be. It's not where I want to be. Now, <clears throat> what I want you to think about is this though. When he moves from green pastures, still waters to even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I think as I've meditated on it, I think what he's saying is this, that life, in a moment of time, it can turn on a dime. Life can go from good to not so good or bad, or it can go from bad to good. Life turns on a dime. One of the great stories that you have to really keep it side by side, even though it intertwines itself, Jesus one day, Think of, think of what he's saying. <clears throat> One day a man comes to Jesus and he says, please come and heal my daughter. She, she, she's, die, she's dying. And she does die. And as he starts going down the road with the man, <clears throat> there's a woman. A woman who thrusts herself through the crowd and grabs and touches the hem. Just the hem of Jesus' garment. Because she believed that if I just touched the hem of his garment, 
I will be healed. Now this woman, what is her problem? Well, her problem is that she's been hemorrhaging for quite some time. Now you may think, well, okay, that's bad, but no, you've you got to understand the sociological implication of it. She is not allowed to come into what we would call corporate worship. She's ceremonially unclean and therefore cannot come in contact because of this. And therefore she's, in a sense, like us, self-quarantined or she's disconnected from society. Well, she touches the hem of his garment. Jesus feels it, by the way. He felt healing power flow out of him. And she's instantly healed. What a great story, huh? But there's still a girl that's dying over there. And so they continue on. And by the time he gets there, the, girl's, the girl died. And the, the family is sad. Jesus goes in. He says, little girl, I say to you, arise. She comes back from the dead. And then he says, give her something to eat. I like that because there's so much about eating in the Bible. But that's another story for another time. Now, here's what I want you to know about these two stories that intertwine themselves together. Because it's interesting. The woman who's been healed of the hemorrhage, it says that she has been in that condition for 12 years. 12 years of pain, 12 years of misery. And then in a moment, life turns on a dime to a good thing. The little girl, well, Mark gives us a little piece of information that Matthew, when he tells the same story, doesn't give us. Mark lets us know how old the little girl is that died. She's 12 years old. That means in that family, they've had 12 years of joy. And in a moment, Everything goes from good to bad. 12 years in each case. Think about that. The point I think that it's trying to tell us is this. That you never know what tomorrow brings. For any of us. None of us know what tomorrow brings. And I think that's what David might be saying. I've been lying down in green pastures, still waters. But even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, life can turn on a dime. And the big question when life turns on a dime for any one of us is, well... Will I turn to fear and lose all my peace? Or will I continue to follow the Prince of Peace and will I have peace in the middle of any situation, in the middle of any storm? Because when the storm on the outside approaches the inside, hopefully it's not a perfect storm. Hopefully I have so much peace on the inside that, you know, it combats a storm on the outside. The same way a submarine, when it's on the top of the water and there's a storm and the waves are raging, if it just submerges underwater, there's no more storm. There's no more storm. It's out there. It's in here. And so we want peace on the inside. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this peaceful heart, part three now, as we look, uh, as we travel through Psalm 23. So number one, we only have two points today. Number one is this. The peaceful heart trusts God in the even though seasons of life. Now let me read verse four of Psalm 23. And it says this. <clears throat> even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now watch what David said. This is big. This is huge. Don't miss the two words. He says, even though. Okay. We'd say it like this in our life. <clears throat> Even though life has turned on a dime and I'm in a difficult season. Even though my marriage is rocky right now and it looks bad. Even though God didn't answer my prayer and it doesn't look like he may answer my prayer anytime soon. 
Even though my finances are, are really rock, it's difficult right now and it's not looking good. Even though I'm battling this disease in my life, even though I will continue to walk with my shepherd, I will continue to walk in the peace of God, I will not lose my peace in my life, even though. Let me drill down even further because I love to use the Bible with the Bible. I told you the story, at least I referred to it a couple weeks ago in this series. <clears throat> it's a well-known story in Daniel about the three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has erected a 90-foot golden statue of himself that everyone must bow down to. Well, these three Hebrew young men, they're no way. We're not bowing down to any statue. And you know what? Gets back to the king. So these three men are brought to a fiery furnace. And they are given one last chance. You either bow down to the statue and worship it, or you're going in that fire. Here's the moment of truth in their life. And here's what I love about that story. Here's what they say when they're given one last opportunity. They say, <clears throat> King Nebuchadnezzar, our God will deliver us. But then they add, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow to that statue. We will worship Yahweh God. Whoa, I love that. You know why? Because David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. The three men say, even if God doesn't deliver me, I'm not bowing. I'm still worshiping Yahweh God. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> that's where we need to come to. When we get to those places in life, we need to be able to say, even though and even if, we're still going to follow God no matter what. Now, the question is, why? Why? How? Why was David able to do this? Why were the three Hebrew men able to do this? I think a better question is this. It, it flips the coin back to us. Why are not we able to do this? Why aren't we able to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Or even if God doesn't deliver me in this moment, I'll still worship God and I will still follow God. Why are we not able to do this? You know what I think the answer is? Back up three to verse 3 that we talked about last week where it says in Psalm 23:3, He restores my soul. Remember, you're not, a, you're not a body, you're a soul that's housed in a body. Your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. I think that's the key. An unrestored mind. A mind, a soul that neglects the word of God, neglects the worship of God, neglects the fellowship of the believers. That mind is left to itself and it's left to the culture and it's an unrestored mind and it will never, ever, ever, ever become a mind that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or even if my God doesn't deliver me, I'll still worship God. That's what a follower of Christ is all about. That's what a growing follower of Christ is all about. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles. I want to I expand 
and unpack this just a wee bit more. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 in your New Testament in the armor of God. I think I referred to this last week uh, in one of the pieces, but I'm going to refer to a different couple pieces this week. <clears throat> Paul, um, he is um, using, and these uh, great speaker teachers like this will use imagery of modern day to paint vivid pictures in the mind of the listeners and of the readers, and he does it fantastically. But a couple verses in here, verse 16 and 17, Paul says this. This is about when the enemy attacks, how you, how you fight back. He says, in addition, verse 16, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. So there are flaming missiles coming at us. What is a flaming missile? Coming at into your mind. Coming at your mind. Coming into your thinking process. The enemy is trying to get in. He's trying to get in. He's trying to get in. He's trying to get in. And he gets in from every different direction. So we need to have a plan. And so in verse, 16, verse 17, it says, And take the helmet of salvation. That's important because you have to believe that you're saved. And that's it. Let me say something about that. You're not falling in and out of salvation every time you sin. Please, please, listen. Okay, you messed up. It doesn't mean you lost your salvation. All it means is you clean that part of your life up. Lord, forgive me, please. Because you're already in justification. You're already saved. Put on the helmet of salvation. And know that you know that you know that what he says is true. You're a saved individual. You're born again. He says, take up the helmet of salvation. But then he says... And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh-oh. He's giving you some mighty, powerful weapons. The shield, that's your left arm. The shield, it blocks the, the flaming missiles. It's what you believe. But what you believe also has an outward offensive aspect in that you take up the sword with the right hand of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword is the Word of God. Now listen. The word for word there, the Greek word that Paul, the New Testament writer, uses is the, is the spoken word, not the written word. So in other words, as we battle with this restored mind, our faith should be built up as we read the word, study the word, get the word taken in, in worship, in fellowship, and we keep the mind being restored. Now there's so much install that we can recall and we can speak the word at our situations. That's a restored mind. Because now what's installed can be recalled and now I got the shield and I got the sword so that I can battle against all these external problems when life turns on a dime. Let me be honest with you. Some of you have cooled down in your life at times. Some of you have even walked away. You know, it's a proven fact psychologically that people do not walk away from God because of theological reasons. They still believe God is God. They walk away and cool down because of emotional reasons. Because God didn't do this, or this happened in my life, or why did this happen, and why these things, and why that over there? And so we drift away. You know what that means? That means the mind wasn't restored enough because life flipped on you, didn't it? It flips on every one of us. And if we're not restored, we will not live in even though 
I walk the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil. Or even if he doesn't deliver me, I still believe in you, God. Here's what it is, guys. Jesus gives a, a magnificent visual when he tells us a story in Mark 4 of the sower and the seed. The, the, the soil in that story is the human heart. There's four different types of human heart categories. The third one is the seed, which is the word of God. It gets choked out. You know why? Because of weeds, because of thorns. We let other things get in there. We let our emotions get in the way. We let lies come in. And we're not cultivating that seed to the point that when things come at us, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When life turns on a dime for the, to a negative, we don't say even though. We don't say even if. We just say, I, I can't take this. I, I can't do, I, I just got to walk away. I, I just got to leave God. I, I, whatever, whatever the words are that you've used. Friends, you, you can't do that. You got to restore the mind. So that you, when you come to those places when the storm on the outside is raging, you could say, even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. And you will continue. Which leads me to point two today. The peaceful heart walks through, not in. Psalm 23 and verse 4 again. Let me read it. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. <clears throat> now, What's he saying? He's saying that the peaceful heart, the follower of Christ, when life turns on a dime for the worst, they still see a light at the end of the tunnel and they march toward that light. Let me segue for a second and tell you that I firmly believe that the first literal idea of the statement is that I need not fear death. And we talked about that about five weeks ago. I do not fear death because you know why? There's an afterlife. And I don't believe in an afterlife just because I have blind faith. I believe it because of the eyewitnesses who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. And I believe it because of the eyewitnesses who saw Moses and Elijah in an afterlife. So it's not a blind faith that we walk in. It's a, it's a faith that's been evidenced by eyewitnesses. But I need not fear death because there is an afterlife and because you and I have put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Messiah and Savior, you know what? When we die, it's not the end. We're just changing locations, my friend. So I think that's a literal of that. But I think it's also saying that when life turns for the worst on a dime, we, you and I, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, I want you to think about it like this. Here's what he says. <clears throat> he is walking through the valley. Huh. He's walking through. Yeah, he's walking through. That's a very important statement that he says, don't miss that word. Now, the question is, who is leading him there and who's leading him through? Back up to verse three again. Watch what he says. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Who's guiding him? Who's leading him? Who's leading you? Who's leading me? God is. The Spirit of God is leading us. So when we're going into valleys of shadow of death, we're to go through. He's leading us through. Now let's be honest. You know what the, one of the Christian's 
problems is? We think, and we do think this way, that when something goes wrong in our life and we're in the midst of pain, we somehow think that that's not quite right. That this shouldn't be this way and God needs to really hop to it and deliver us from the pain or the situation that we're in. I'm afraid too many people have walked away because of that. <clears throat> they walked away from God who has been leading them through it. And when we drift from God, we don't go through it anymore. We get stuck in it. Did that make sense? In our painful times, when he's leading us through it, because we have the peace of God in our heart and we trust him, if we drift from God and drift from his, his uh, you know, what he set up for us in fellowship and church, we stay stuck in it. And don't you ever get tired of being stuck in it? I do. I don't like that place. Now, <clears throat> here's what we forget. And I, I think we forget it. So let me take you back in time um, <laughs> to the early 60s, mid-60s to be exact. I was about eight years old, 1964. It's a long time ago. But you know what? There was, remember summer times when uh, you'd have all summer off? And I think back then we had like 11 weeks off. It was so great. And we'd hang out with all the neighborhood kids in elementary school because, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have any of that. We had to, we had to create. We had to create our games. We did. Well, I remember one night vividly we were sitting there and um, there was about I don't know seven or eight of us from our little neighborhood there and I was eight and there were a couple of the most of us were eight, a couple of the guys were like 10 and like when they're 10 years old and you're eight that's like they're old but you feel so cool because they're hanging out with you well one night we're all hanging out and it got dark on a summer night and then the 10-year-old guys began to tell us ghost stories. And we're sitting there listening to them. And we're getting scared. And then they pull out the story of stories. I don't think I'd ever heard it before. And that night, I vividly remember, they told us about the Yorona. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, the Yorona, she's going to get me. So Yorona's going to get me. And I don't want to tell you what the Yorona is. So most of you know what it is probably, but I was terrified out of my mind. Now, there came the moment in the dark where you had to go home. I didn't want to walk home. Guys, I was two doors away from my house. And I was scared that if I walked, the Yorona was going to jump out from the bushes and take me forever. I'd never see my mom again, never see my dad again. And I think, well, I know, it had to be. One of the 10-year-olds probably looked at me and thought, he's scared out of his mind. <laughs> and he, and this was, his name was um, Richard Salgado. His nickname was Bozo. Some of you old-time corner people will know who that is. He looked at me and he said, Jimmy, do you want me to walk you home? And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And, you know, he's 10, I'm 8, and he walked me home, walked me to the door, and I got in my mouth. Let me tell you something. 
I knew that Yorona was out there. But with Bozo walking next to me, I knew that I was safe. And I knew that Yorona was not going to get me because Bozo was at my side. Let me tell you something that I think we forget. When we're walking through difficult times and tough waters and valleys of the shadow of death, God is with us. And God is not leading us in it to stay stuck. He's leading us through it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, you got to finally come to the realization of the reality of God in your life. I love what Elijah said in 1 Kings 17.1 when he stands up to evil King Ahab and he says, there'll be no rain by my word. But here's what he says to the man. As the Lord God of Israel lives <clears throat> before whom I stand. What is he saying? He's saying, yeah, I'm standing here, Ahab, but God is standing right next to me. God doesn't leave me. He takes me through the valleys. I don't get stuck in the valleys. Now, please listen to this. Why do marriages break up? Why are you thinking about leaving your spouse right now? Because you've never really learned to walk through. You just stay stuck in it. You're not getting the outside help that you too need to work this thing through. Because every married couple listening to me that's been married for quite some time knows that they've had to work through problems. And you know that, huh? You've never learned to walk through. That takes a restored mind. That takes outside help with other restored minds to help you through it. Why is it some people keep making the same bad decisions repeatedly because they've never worked through the old baggage. And the old baggage always comes back to haunt us and emotionally lead us to the same repetitive bad decisions that we get stuck in. And we find ourselves once again in the shadow of death in that valley because we never learn to work through. We don't work through it. And please don't tell yourself, I can deal with it on my own. No, you can't. I've been in ministry almost 40 years. I have heard that statement from a few people over the years and then their life gets shipwrecked because none of us can do it by ourselves. And that's a fact. And that's a fact. It's not good that man should be alone. Why do some of us never finish things? Because we've never learned to work through our problems, our trials. Why is it we start, I'm going to be there, and we're there a couple of times, and we quit because something comes up. Oh, I can't do it anymore. We've never learned to work through it and come out on the other side grown up. And I read this statement in a book, and I believe with all my heart. He says, you will only rise to the level of the pain you can endure. And that's a fact. You want to rise higher and higher in life? You want life to get better and better? Then you have to rise higher than the pain. You have to. 
because the pain will cause you to quit. Uh -uh, uh -uh. You will only rise as high as the level of pain you can endure in life. You have to walk through it and not get stuck in it. That's a restored soul. Now, <clears throat> in Exodus chapter 14, they've come to that place. Moses has led them um, from uh, Egypt. They've just left. It's high hope time. This is great. We've been in bondage for over 400 years. We're finally free. And then they come to the Red Sea. And they can't pass. Their backs are against the wall. And they're looking to Moses for leadership. And then they see Pharaoh's chariots coming. Here come the soldiers. They're going to kill us. Of course, they go through all the fear statements. Moses, you brought us here to die, etc., etc. You know how we do. And then, of course, Moses talks to God. What do I do? God says, you know, be quiet. Tell him to go forward, stand back, and see the salvation of God. And parts of sea, boom, there we go. And they're saved. But let me tell you what I struggle with. And I think you do too. When, when there are times when my life is back up to the sea and it looks like there's just no way out. And whatever form Pharaoh's chariots take that are coming at me, you know what the fear that comes into my heart? The same one that comes in your heart. My life will always be this way. This negative will always be here. It will never get better. I'm stuck in it. I'll never be able to go through it and see something good on the other side. I'm stuck in it. That's a fear that grips me. And I think it grips you at times. But we've got to lean back on the words of David and get that restored mind. It says, even though, even if, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Let me share with you something. This is my closing illustration. I shared with the staff this week. There's a piece of that devotion. Every week I do a devotional teaching with them. It'll help some of you right now. You know, Moses, when he's 40 years of age in Exodus chapter 2, according to Acts chapter 7, verse 25, Stephen preaching says that Moses supposed that the Israelites, the people in bondage in Egypt, they knew that Moses was a deliverer, which Moses, that means Moses thought he was a deliverer. But he goes and he kills the Egyptian, buries him. Long story short, he's got to get out of Dodge. See, Moses had vision. I'm going to lead these people. We all have vision. A vision of what life's going to be like. It's going to be this way. It's going to be that way. It's going to be so great. And then something goes wrong. Life takes a turn. For Moses' case, wrong time, wrong technique. The timing was off to deliver the people. His technique was off. You don't go killing Egyptians, one Egyptian. That's not the way God meant it to be. You kill them one at a time. 
Moses flees. And he ends up in Midian. And it says he sojourns there. And he settles there. Let me tell you what that means. That means he's stuck in it. He had vision. And then he has death of vision. For some of you, you've experienced death of vision. It's over. Death of vision happened. I was so, ha I was so excited. And now I'm not. Because everything went wrong. Oh, but is God done with Moses? No. God doesn't want to leave us in something. Let's take us through something. Forty years go by. Moses is out there shepherding sheep in Midian. And one day he sees that bush burning. He says, I got to turn and see this marvelous sight. And he goes up there on the mountain. The very mountain where one day he'll get the Ten Commandments. And God gives him new marching orders. Moses, you're going to go back and deliver the people, my people. Ah. Vision, death of vision, supernatural resurrection of vision. Moses, you're not staying in Midian. This was just a training ground. I'm taking you through there, back to Egypt, to, to redeem, to deliver the people. That's right. Supernatural resurrection of vision. Even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. God takes me through. God takes me through. Don't give up on your vision, friend. You're just in the death of the vision part. But God has a better supernatural resurrection of that vision for your life. And don't you forget it. Because he doesn't leave us as orphans. We are sons and daughters of a heavenly father that loves us, that loves us. So get back on that horse. Start riding again. Come on. Come on and watch God take you through it. Well, as you've been watching today, if you're, I want to close with, if you're not a follower of Christ and, um, and maybe you've been watching me or somebody else week in, week out during this time and you're inching closer in your soul. It's making sense that this Jesus is the Messiah. This Jesus is God in the flesh. It makes sense to become a follower of Jesus Christ. But you haven't taken that step yet. You haven't said, okay, I'm going to do this. But deep in your heart, you know there's a tug and there's a pull. You might even know that your whole family wants you to take this step. That you would bless them so much if you did. But you know down deep that it's the right way to go. You know that Jesus died for you because he loves you. And his blood was spilled to forgive you of your sins. You know it now. You understand it. And he's calling you and he's pulling on you through the Spirit of God. Why not settle it today? Why not just finally pass from death to life and become a son or daughter of God? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. But also on the other side of the coin, some of you might have backslid. You walked away. Why? For emotional reasons, not theological reasons. Well, God didn't do this and this didn't happen. And so you became a doubter. You know, God's not mad at you. He's not angry. 
But you need to get, come back and get a restored mind so you can even though and even if. And you walk with God. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to rededicate your life to Christ. So if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus for the first time or rededicate your life, I want you to repeat this prayer out loud with me. I'm going to say it slow with breaks so you can repeat it. And all I ask you to do as you're saying it is believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is your Messiah, that he died for you because he loves you. Here we go. Repeat after me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I know I'm forgiven. I know you love me. Today I place my faith in you. I choose today to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I thank you for saving me. And I promise to follow you the rest of my days into eternity. Now allow me to pray just for a few moments for you. You can close your eyes, keep them open, whatever you want to do. God, I pray for those people that just said that prayer in first time faith or rededication. Lord, I pray you just flood your love all over them. That they experience a great moment because it's just the beginning of moments. I pray that the weeks and months to come to follow, they will grow in you and your word and grow to love you. God, protect them and keep them. As I know you said in your word, you would, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for listening today. It's been a pleasure to teach you once again. And until I get to see you in person, I love you. Look forward to seeing you. God bless you. Give you my digital hug. We will see you later.